What's flashing? Welcome to another episode of Siren Sundays. Today is episode four of season six with me, your host, Lashanti the Siren. And our wonderful guest today is Shakara Lightborn. Welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me. Love the intro. It was Thank you. very nice. <laughs> Thank you so much. Back in my lock days, which lasted only uh, eight months, but. <laughs> <laughs> it's okay. Right. I'm, I'm on that journey now. <laughs> Blessings. <laughs> well, I'm so happy because I did run into you a couple months ago. I'm so happy I finally got you on the show. I finally got to connect with you. And if you could just give us a quick introduction on who you are, give us some of your experience and educational background that has brought you to where you're at today with Island Foodology. Okay. Well, my name is Shakara Lightborn. I consider myself, I'm an agricultural professional. Um, uh, I started out working in agriculture at the age of 15 on the government research farm, which is uh, located on Gladstone Road, working in the piggery, and then, um, you know, kind of branched off into small ruminants, sheep and goat and crops, and got the whole gambit of what they do there. And that kind of sparked my love for, for agriculture, and along with my family uh, kind of pushing me and my cousin to get more into food production because, you know, they just always felt that uh, that's something we should be doing as a country. So I then went to College of the Bahamas at the time, studied agriculture, a very small program, wasn't a lot of us. I think it was like seven of us in that program. Mm -hmm. And then I eventually went to um, school in University of Saskatchewan in Canada. Uh, I wanted to be a veterinarian, but the money wasn't right there like that. And then being in a vet, uh, being in one of my vet classes and, and actually, uh, smelling formaldehyde in the morning wasn't kind of working out for me for the dead dogs we had to work on it didn't quite work out for me so anyway so I just did, did animal and poultry science and then you know I got a little homesick and I decided I wanted to come home and help my country and for you know kind of <laughs> <laughs> uh, get into the sector and, and, and be the champion for agriculture I'm so enthusiastic when I came back home but it wasn't a lot to do in the sector. The sector was still, uh, I would say, we're still kind of behind in the agricultural sector. So it was difficult for me to find a job. Um, I was thinking to work for the government, but there was a moratorium in hiring and blah, blah, blah. So I ended up doing stuff like, uh, I think my first job when I came back home was working at a Dasha Gardens as a zookeeper. I did that for three years. Um, and then I started my first business, which was Golight Mobile Markets. I basically bought produce and different things from all the different islands and, and kind of distributed it throughout Nassau, delivered it to people's houses. And so that, that kind of worked well for a bit. And I ended mm -hmm. up, I had somebody call me from BNT. Actually, my uh, Shelly uh, from BNT called and she's like, we worked at the Dasha Gardens together. She's like, we need environmental education officers. Why don't come and you know uh, apply and blah, blah, blah. I said, okay, sure. So that's what I ended up doing working at BNT. I was a, at um, environmental environmental education officer responsible for Discovery Club. So during that time, they had the Pew Shark campaign. So I used to do a lot of presentation with that. And so you know, if, that whole education department was always an adventure. I mean, working in a uh, place like BNT, you're going to learn so much um, training and be exposed to so much. So after BNT, I finally found a, a, a position in my field. So uh, I started to work at AICA, which is um, <clears throat> the Inter-American Institute for Cooperation on Agriculture. And their mandate is to assist with technical assistance in rural development in all areas of agriculture. So it's an organization that's headquarters in Costa Rica and 34 offices throughout the member countries, uh, mm -hmm. throughout the whole hemisphere. So I worked there for about 10 years uh, as of uh, March 31st of this year. And then I now transition into my own company. I think I have enough experience now and, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's, it's been a very long road. And started Island Foodology because, uh, you know, just going through all of that, uh, I see that there's a lot of gaps in the sector and a lot of opportunity, uh, not only for young people, 
but for a lot of people who are unemployed to get into to fill those gaps between the farm and the table, um, from the throat to the boat, from the boat to the throat, <laughs> or however you want to do it, any all those areas of the food production chain, there there are so many different gaps that mm -hmm. we can get into. And one of my focuses is training, education, do a little bit of consultancy work, and then um, make some of my own products as well. So is that the main mission of Island Foodology? <clears throat> if you were to say, like, what is the what is the vision or mission of Island Foodology? Like, what would you say that is? I would say Island Foodology is committed to fostering sustainable food production systems. So uh, Island and then food and ology means the study of, study of food and then as an island. So a lot of the times we like to compare ourselves to these big, Big countries like United States and Canada and um, everything like that, but we don't we take for granted the way we do things in this island setting. Things are a little different for us environmentally. Um, things are different for us politically, and then we have certain traditions as well that um, that we could build upon, and that you know we take for granted. And I just wanted to kind of highlight those things that we did well, that we do well and kind of um, um, push people into those areas and uh, that they can actually be empowered economically. So um, I love it. In, in, in that way, um, I think I'm pioneering in some things. I just had the, the Bahamas Bee College. Um, yes. Beekeeping is, is one of the things for me, that was low-hanging fruit. Even though I, you know, I, I work in all different areas of agriculture, but for me, that's a kind of love for me, a passion for me. So I said, let me start there because I've always had people asking me to do trainings, you know, in beekeeping. A lot of people are interested in bees, and so I have colleagues, different parts of the world. I had one in particular from Savannah Bee Company. He always likes to come down here and spread the bee love, as he used to say, yeah, his name is Ted Dennard, and he said, Shikara, what are we going to do? Um, some training, I want to come down, and blah, blah, blah. So he kind of helped to sponsor the first bee college, along with another nonprofit called um, Bees Beyond Borders, and so those guys came down, helped with the training, and we did three islands, on the Providence, Ilusra, and Abaco, um, <clears throat> as a start. So uh, it is my hope to continue with courses like that. I mean, if it's, you know, if the topic is out of my purview, I always have networks all over the world that can, I could draw in, bring in, to bring that information to us. Because I, I truly believe that knowledge is power on every level. And everything doesn't have to be university learned or, you know, just learning from people in different cultures. And that's one of the things you learn from traveling as well, which is another one of my passions. So just to bring bring people to you from different countries and you can benefit in so many ways through that. And I'm glad you said it. I, I definitely was going to say a lot of times I think people think in order to be successful, you have to go to this formal university setting, you have to get a degree in something and then branch off from there. But it's so important, the work that you're doing, right? Like you're facilitating this, this B college where I'm sure participants don't have to be um, college students, right? Like they can be just anyone, any adult or maybe young adult, like were teenagers also involved? Um, Actually, the youngest there was a eight year old, which was my son, of course. <laughs> uh, my, my, and then, uh, so any age, um, I'm hoping to even start from even younger than he, than him, because he shows an interest in it as well. And they're the, they're the future of our country. You need to yes. get them in their, you know, environmental uh, mindset from young. Even now those campaigns, I remember being a child and those campaigns of, clean, green, and pristine, and not littering and stuff. I mean, all that is still stuck in my head. I can't yeah. even put like, myself to throw something out the window because that is so ingrained in me mm -hmm. from such a young age. So that works. That yeah. that training and that knowledge, that public education, it really sticks with, if done properly, done consistently, it works. Mm -hmm. So I, I would like to start it at any age. Um, you know, once, you know, put the safety measures in place, Mm -hmm. And you kind of meet people where they're at um, in that way. 
And, and so I do want to talk um, a bit about gaps and challenges, but I do see some questions about the beekeeping um, in the chat. So I will just shoot uh, them up. Uh, yep. Dan will ask, are bees indigenous? Which is a very interesting question. Are bees indigenous to the Bahamas? You mean honeybees? No, they're not indigenous. We have a lot of different pollinators here. And that's one of the things I want to work on as well. Eventually, if I start this nonprofit research in the in the, the different type of pollinators we have, because we don't really know what we have. We know there's like 20,000 pollinators in the whole world listed, but we don't know what we have here in our country. And that's you know study of island food, foodology. We don't know what we have. But no, bees are not, honeybees are not indigenous. They were brought here by the Europeans uh, yeah. hundreds of years ago, like to the Americas on the whole, really. Uh, so yeah. uh, they're not indigenous. Nice. And I know Innocent Fugitive <laughs> ask, what are some aspects of beekeeping that surprise people? Um, that they're so organized, that they're so complex in the way they behave in, in their whole society. A lot of people, I mean, they're just amazing. I mean, that's one of the reasons I, I kind of fell in love with them. They're very precise with everything they do, even the way they construct their comb. Uh, mathematically, all the sides measure up. We have something called B space within um, the high boxes. If you don't build your frames to a certain si a specific size, it could cause a whole problem with how the bees function. Wow. Um, so everything is very precise and tailored to them. They have a purpose and plan for everything. It's a purpose for everything that they do. Everybody has a job in the hive, whether you're a nurse bee, you're a mortician bee, or you're, um, you, you're part of the royal court where you take care of the queen, or if you're just a drone who just waits to reproduce with the virgin queen. Everybody mm -hmm. has their job and everybody knows what their job is. And they kind of communicate that amongst each other. I mean, most of them only have about 40 days to live. So you have a lot to do in 40 days. Oh, wow. And so it's amazing that at the end, usually the bees that you would see foraging plants and collecting honey and nectar and whatnot, those are old bees. Those are the bees who are at the end of their life. And so they go out there in case they don't come back. At least they've already lived their life. You know? Are you kidding? I'm yeah. surprised by that. Wow, I didn't yeah. even know that. I yeah, thought that was so, the young, you know, whippersnappers. Just no, no, that's their last job. And, you know, if I go out and I get hit smart by a human or pesticide kill me, at least I've already done my job. Um, as a forager, I've done my job. That's my last job. And they literally work themselves to death. So it's, they're, they're very, very fascinating. Wow. Um, fascinating insects. Um, so you got people we can learn a lot from them. Yeah, you got people buzzing about this beast in the <laughs> chat. So um, my wonderful aunt Denise, she asked, "Is it safe to eat the honey straight from the hive? Like when you guys are extracting this honey, can you just yeah. eat it?" Right? I sell it. I sell. I sell comb. Oh really? Because, yeah. Is it's uh, I sell honey and I sell comb. Um, it's actually the best way to eat it because it has all everything in it. Uh, it has all the, the pollen, all the nutrients. It was always good to consume honey from your own um, environment. Yeah. The closer it is to you, the better, because then the bees are foraging on the plants in your environment. So it's also it's always better. So so definitely, yeah. you can eat honey from the comb. I mean, I don't know if you've ever seen the charcuterie board. I would tell people, I can, yeah, just cut it really thin. You can put it on some crackers and cheese, or you could spread it on bread with butter, comb. All right, there's so many different ways to eat it. In fact, that's one of my next projects to create like a snack, <laughs> snack uh, with you need taste testers. Yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> a lot of things in the works. <laughs> that's good. That's exciting. Yeah. Because um, I know many years ago when I was actually working at Dolphin Encounters, funny enough, um, we had an intern and she had just finished, I'm not sure if it was her master's or PhD at the time. This was literally like over a decade ago for me. And she had studied bees and she took the internship here because obviously she wanted to come to the Bahamas and she just loved animals and right. she was the first person to tell me that whole concept of it's better to eat honey closer to you mm. and sometimes um you know because you're not technically no one's allergic to honey and if someone is allergic to honey it's typically because the pollen is what they're allergic to from that other right tree. 
nine yeah, the protein and, and the pollen yeah mm-hmm pollen mm-hmm. is a yeah the pollen is a, is a protein source for the bees and usually the protein in, in in the pollen is probably what the person is is allergic to it's it's, it's exactly right so even if it says organic you know you see the stuff <laughs> coming in it probably is organic but what I sell is raw honey, straight from the comb. I don't heat it. I don't. I just filter. Some people just still even want the legs in it, just to say, you know, it's maybe some wings or legs and then whatever. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, but some people, it's just straight from the hive. That's the best way to consume it. Um, and then the good thing about us is we have multi-floral honey because you know the the taste of the honey mm-hmm. comes from whatever plants. And because we have such small islands, uh, the bees go to so many different plants. So sometimes you don't really know what flavor you're going to get. Depending on the time of year, you will have a different flavor yeah. every time of the year. Even get that Brazilian pepper honey. Please love Brazilian pepper. <laughs> no. Oh, wow. And scavola. Basic oh. kind. They love that scavola. They love that Brazilian pepper. Because you'll get a little peppery taste in the in the honey. Hmm. Uh, for if, if the bees are around a lot of Brazilian pepper. So That's interesting. Yeah, it just depends. And speaking of them being those plants being invasive, I know D'Angelo also asked, um, what impact do bees have on our local ecosystem? Would you say, you know, obviously having people start this honey beekeeping businesses, um, having too many, is that going to cause a negative impact or is it just like neutral? Like what's the kind of impacts that we could expect? I think it's it's neutral to beneficial, to be honest. I don't know if I'm biased or not, but again, the research needs to be done. Uh, in that area, we don't know what we have here. We don't know uh, to even be able to make that call. Uh, honeybees have been here since the 1800s. They've always been here. So mm-hmm. we haven't really imported any bees. We just collect them and um, put them in boxes. And they're going to reproduce whether we help them to or not. They're already mm-hmm. here. <laughs> mm-hmm. So they're going to swarm. They swarm in the wild. They swarm when we keep them in the box. They're still gonna do what they do, and we just benefit from that whole process. I know somebody say, "Oh, they're they're, they're really livestock." Um, they're just small. I have entomologists say uh, that's like they're like chickens or something like that, which um, they are. They are kind of like they are livestock because you have to you know consider their health and whatnot if you're keeping them mm-hmm. like any other animal. But I don't think they have a negative impact. Again, the research you know, needs to be done. Mm-hmm. We need a whole inventory on everything that we have. I don't even think we've even covered we have in our oceans yet. Our oceans, much less land. And so we have a lot of work to do. <laughs> we have a lot of work to do. And specifically, you mean like the Bahamas? Like the Bahamas? Yeah, the Bahamas. Yeah. The Bahamas. I'm not even going to the rest of the Caribbean yet. No. I'm just talking about us as, yeah. Uh, yeah, as, sure. as a people. I know there is some some bee myths um, that people want you to debunk for them. Is it true if you kill a bee, the swarm will attack? And I used to hear that, like they would smell the dead bee and no, no, it's they they smell they the dead Grammy. And, you know, like, yeah, they communicate through pheromones. Mm-hmm. So if a bee stings you, once one bee stings you, then everybody coming after you because this thing smells like banana. It smells like the sweetie smell. Like you smell it. I have my suit on. And everyone just stinging up the suit, but then you could smell this sweet banana. It's like a attack pheromone. So once one stings you in that same spot, everybody come in there. So wow. yes, that is true to a certain extent. It depends on um, that's their job. Like guard, that's another job in the hive. Guard bees. Yeah. So so what about if, if you kill it? Like if hmm? you squish the bee, does that also now release this attack pheromone? Yeah, the pheromones. By yeah, by then the, the bees. Um, if you get away from the area, then you might not get caught. But once that sting and that pheromone is being released, mm-hmm. that's the reason we use smoke as well. We use smoke in, um, <laughs> I see now, let's say banana. Honestly, <laughs> <it was> there. <laughs> yeah, so that's one of the reasons we use smoke to kind of cover up that communication to make our work easier. So yeah. that's what the smoke is used for. I see people when bees are in houses, they say, I'm going to smoke them out. Yeah, that doesn't really do anything. <laughs> bees kind of, you know, bees like to make homes in smoky trees, like struck by lightning. And, but the smoke just kind of 
kind of muddles the communication between them and make them a little calmer. Okay. Uh, that's what the smoke does. Nice. Other than that, they'll be carrying on. They'll be buzzing so hard. And you we would hear the noise. It'll start like a low hum, and then all of a sudden, it, it gets very, very loud. You can tell when they're getting angry. So you don't want to be in <laughs> check your hives too much. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yikes. Um, I know, so two more questions, and then we'll move on. I know this bee thing, like I said, has people buzzing. Um, if you're allergic to bee stings, would you be allergic to honey? That's an interesting question. Uh, um, if you're allergic to bee stings, again, it's the protein and the honey that you're probably allergic to. It's not a lot of people that are allergic to mm -hmm. the honey. There's different levels of allergies to bee stings. Like I, I'm a, I probably a level one, even though I swell really, really, but some people don't swell at all. So maybe I'm a level two. And, but then there's some people who are deadly allergic. Like I had a, a cousin who died from bee stings. He was 21 years old, defense force officer. And so... If we had just had that EpiPen there, because we didn't, you know, he just went out in the yard and they would just start fooling with these bees that they saw in the yard. And the bees kind of chased them. And and he just got so many stings that that was that. But in terms of the honey, I think that's a different thing altogether. With the, yeah. there's, there's the bee venom and then there's the protein that's probably in the honey, which is a different story. And then there's the propolis as well. Propolis is kind of like tree resin that the bees collect. Mm -hmm. So they collect this, when they go out, they they collect honey, they make, sorry, not honey, they collect water, they collect nectar, they collect tree resin, which is like a antimicrobial. It's a way to keep the hive healthy. Yeah. So they'll collect resin from different trees and they'll line their, they'll line their um, box or their hive with this tree resin to keep mm. the, keep them, you know, well, keep the the hive health well. There's a certain diseases associated with bees. Even then, they, mm. they can, yeah. So, but anyway, that is called propolis, and the propolis too may act like an allergen. It kind of, you know, it could plump up your lips a little bit, and just give you a little reaction. Uh, maybe something like that um, to that as well. That mm. could give you a little allergy, but it just depends per person on on, on the person. Definitely. I know this last one, and I know why D'Angelo's asking this. Um, I feel like this question, is honey vegan, is a debate even amongst the vegan community. <laughs> In your opinion, do you think honey is vegan? Uh, yes. <laughs> <laughs> okay, you have to give me the definition. There's so much definitions of vegan for me. I don't know. So what, what would be your definition of, of vegan? Something that's not of animal origin? Yeah, so plant-based, basically. I know um, for me, I would, I would, as a plant-based person, uh -huh. I would consume honey um, because I don't feel like honey is um, extracted or gathered or harvested in a way that is negatively impacting bees in any situation. I mean, I don't know if there's some rogue bee um, bee farmers out there that do that, but uh -huh. I feel I would eat it as a plant-based person. I've heard that there are some plant-based people who are very anti-honey because they feel like bees are being tortured. So oh, no. it comes down to animal products, but then also animal rights. When you talk and about animal people. welfare, you mean? Yeah, animal, animal welfare. welfare. And Not and rights, but they have rights. They're going to do, I mean, bees are going to do what they're going to do anyway. We're just kind of taking kind of taking advantage of the situation that we've been doing that literally for thousands of years. They found mm -hmm. honey in the tombs of uh, the pyramids. Honey mm -hmm. is one of those products that doesn't spoil. Like they found mm -hmm. honey fully intact 2000 years later. It's a natural mm -hmm. preservative. It's, you know, we've been using it for so long. Mm -hmm. So um, if you break it down to what it actually is, it, all it is is water and nectar, nectar and in that is fermented. Mm -hmm. um, mm -hmm. That's all it is. They put it in the little cells and their little um, wax cells and then they cover it. It ferments and then it becomes honey. It's just water and nectar, really. Hmm. And that's uh, just kind of like a sugar. Yeah, it's a sugar, a sugar mm. that they collect from the flowers. Yeah. Uh, and they just—it's kind of like making rum or something. <laughs> <laughs> you just put it in there, let it ferment for a little bit, and then it's good to eat. It's, it's yeah. like that. That's what it is. And it's food for them. It's actually their food. It's not even our. Food. It's their food. We kind of like stealing from them. But that's why sometimes with, you know, as a beekeeper, um, you want to make sure your bees are taken care of first 
before you take care of. So if they have access, that's when you harvest. Ah. You don't just harvest just because you have honey in, in, in the box. Don't doesn't mean that you have to take it. You don't have to take it. You just make sure when they start producing excess, that's when you, you start harvesting. So you gotta make that your first priority is to make sure the bees are in good health and they, everybody's doing well. The queen is producing bees. The more bees you have, the better. Good, healthy, strong hives is always the first priority for a beekeeper. Mm -hmm. It only makes sense. And there is um, there is only one queen per hive, right? Like you don't have like these multiple queens in power. Depending no, no. On how big the I hive mean, you, is. At, so, at some point, this interlap uh, 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 with multiple queens, especially if you know if you have a queen in there and our pheromones aren't that strong, and the workers are like, I can't, I mean, I down the road and I can't even spell off. She maybe, or she just, she just kind of laying eggs all over the place, not in their pattern. Like I say, they're very precise. So you could always tell the way the, the, you know, the eggs are laid, whether you have a good queen or not, or if it's an old queen or a young queen. But if she's like making things difficult for them to do their work in the hives, like laying eggs here and there and all over the place, and it's not in a uniform pattern, they would create a cell to actually produce a new queen. <gasps> And actually, it's the workers who, who kind of it's call the shots. <laughs> so how they call the shots is um, they would produce cells. I don't know if you see the comb. It's all mm -hmm. those little cells. So based on the size of the, the cell, that's how the queen knows what kind of bee to lay the egg. She lays about 1,500 to 2,000 eggs a day. And so based on the measurement, like she'll stick her little head in there and then she'll measure with a pause to see how big the cell is. She'll say, okay, that's a drone. I need to lay a drone there. And she'll turn around and lay a drone egg. And then she'll say, oh, this is smaller. So I'll, I'll lay a worker bee. And then sometimes they'll make a cell for queen. They'll make a queen cell. And she'll actually lay a queen in that cell. Because um, she's like working on automatic. She doesn't even feed herself. <laughs> She kind of like working, 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 and then they'll decide. She'll lay. They'll make a couple of queens, and then whoever. I wouldn't say it's a fight to the death or anything. I'm like waiting to hear that part. Like, <laughs> so usually, uh, whoever hatches out first. Let's say they have five queen cells. Whoever hatches out first will try to kill the rest, <gasps> and then they will, um, kind of. Uh, do this thing with 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 the old old queen. So whoever kind of wins that confrontation will stay in the hive, and then the rest will leave. That's how. That's why we had a lot of swarming going on. Swarming is a way that bees reproduce. So that's why I said. I mean, they do that anyway. <laughs> they don't need us to help them do that. They reproduce. They when it's too many bees in one spot, um, one will go away with another queen, and and that's why they're not aggressive at that point. At that point, mm -hmm. when they're looking for a new home. Um, they're not aggressive at all. Like I don't know if you saw pictures of when we went to Bee College, and people had bees on their hands and stuff. That was a swarm. That's a swarm that. Yeah, like... that's that a swarm that we caught on the way to Governor's Harbor. They were in there. They were just. They just flew across the car, looking for some place to live, and they just landed on a bush. And the queen is usually in the middle, and the workers and everybody's around her, protecting her, whilst they have scout bees going all the way around looking for a new home. And they kind of compare our notes to say, oh, I find one new, a nice little spot in one box in there. And sometimes they'll even bring samples of the new home from Nectar and the new home that they found. And then they all decide as a group, okay, that's not like a good spot you see. And so then they all fly there instead of everybody flying up and down. So and it usually takes them two days or so to do that. Wow. I, <laughs> I am definitely, yes. And you said it at the beginning and I know I saw a comment Nandi Maynard also said, I never knew bees were such complex creatures. This is really fascinating. And I knew they were complex, but you really took me for a loop with this um, this queen wars. <laughs> you know, and I think people always perceive bees um, as the queen being in charge, but clearly, yeah. and again, as, and I think it was Nandi again, these worker bees are shot callers. Like, yeah, they, they're very, they don't live long. I tell you, they didn't get 40 days to live. So. <laughs> they didn't get time to wait. <laughs> <laughs> no, and that, but the queen lives of almost, she can live three years. Uh, as a beekeeper, they tend to, she lives three to four years. So imagine, you could even tell an old queen because the top of her head will be bald. No. Some hair on the top of her head, but where she always poking her head in the cell, like the hair kind of like 
<laughs> but beekeepers usually switch out their queens um, sometimes, and every you know they'll mark the queen so you could find her easily mm-hmm. in the hive. And sometimes they switch out. It depends on the beekeeper. Mm-hmm. Um, so make sure they always have that constant supplies and new baby bees. You always want new bees all the time, all the time, all the time. Because mm-hmm. that that helps them to defend against predators like you have um wax moths that like to eat the wax in in the hive or hive beetles that like to lay their own eggs within the drone comb they make the honey nasty and uh that's one reason the bees will leave your box like if it becomes too overrun with pests and this becomes too too hard for them to uh maintain mm-hmm. they will leave uh, so you, it's it's your job as a beekeeper to make sure they're comfortable. They have everything they need. If it's not enough flowers around, we even feed them. Uh, we'll feed them sugar water or something just to get them, keep them alive. Yeah. Uh, at that time, we wouldn't harvest honey from them because right now, at this point, we're just keeping them alive. There's not enough food around. Um, just giving them something until they build up more um, reserves to be able to do what they need to do. I love it. And, and I, like I said, I didn't really think we were end up um, talking this much about the bees in the bee college, but it is really interesting to hear um, how knowledgeable you are, first of all. And I can, I can only imagine that some of the participants of the bee college probably, again, you said that people are so fascinated by how complex they are, but I'm excited to see like, you know, this new like influx of people who are more acquainted with beekeeping. And so it makes me want to um, just kind of start the discussion and ask about how important do you think it is, and this is completely your opinion, ain't nobody uh, row you, you know, but how important do you think it is for Bahamians to kind of take ownership of our our food, right? Like we import, you know, everyone always is saying, we import over 90% of our food from our neighbors. How important is it for us to start knocking that percentage down? And, and obviously starting with things like honey and working our way up to the different types of um, food products. I think it's extremely important. I mean, we used to do it before. We were a nation who used to subsistence farming used to be it. It wasn't, you know, any way to import. We never used to import all this food. We used to do a lot of pothole farming and we used to grow stuff for our family, especially in the family islands. I mean, that pothole farming thing started from the Lucayans way back when. And it's something we kind of, you know, because we don't have a lot of soil. Yeah. Um, we don't have a lot of soil, so and we have a lot of limestone rock. Um, so we kind of have to work with what we have. I, I think um, we definitely, I can remember, I think it was working at Dolphin Encounters at the time when they had 9-11. And tourists, you know, after that, tourists wasn't coming here. We were sitting there playing with the dolphins all day and and just looking at each other's face, you know, and the boats just kind of start stop coming for a little bit and people are getting scared or oh, when you have this amount of food in the shop and things start to get kind of crazy, you mm-hmm. know, for a little bit there. And and so it just showed us how vulnerable we really are uh, as, um, um, <laughs> I see somebody said, yeah. Uh, yeah. Oh, it just shows us how vulnerable we are as um, as a people. And I mm-hmm. think if everybody does it, even on a small level, if you get a couple of check-ins in the back of your yard and you just, even if you're, you're not growing it for yourself, if you just grow it to share with your neighbor or, or something like that, just to get in that mindset to be able to have those skills, mm-hmm. to have those skills to be able to grow your own food if you get in a pinch or something happens and yeah. and we can't get the food at least you want to have like the apocalypse people running around killing each other <laughs> buying all the toilet paper yeah I mean, just just freaking yourself out uh because it's not enough food as human beings one of the first things we need food and water before mm-hmm. you even put on clothes or have shelter on your shelter you need to eat yeah i miss lunch in my belly eating you know what i mean like i'm mad <laughs> you mad they put you in the home mood so why wouldn't we think food is important we really take it for granted we take it for granted so 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 much and as a country i think we're at least 30 30 years behind in agriculture people like to talk like your 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 listener said when they think subsistence farm they think cat island people <laughs> like to talk i wouldn't say it's a pet peeve of mine people like to talk oh i remember grammy and granddaddy used to do this and um rope sweet potato and the stuff in the backyard and mm-hmm. this it's more a nostalgic type thing and that's fine 
But when you talk about development and building a country and a nation, you have to have policies in place. You have to have your people properly trained. You have to have the infrastructure in place. All of these things, all of these things have to be in place. I mean, us as black people, we 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 came on the side of the world because of agriculture. I should tell you how important and valuable agriculture is. You know, yeah. we came mm-hmm. as laborers. We came to be, uh, you know, to to be able to uh, supply the rest of the world. And any superpower in the world, their main one, their main industry is agriculture, yeah. food. You yeah. control the food. You control the world. So I don't I don't know when are we gonna get that and really like seriously stop but i think it starts at an an, on individual level within our schools from the family level and i think it'll kind of move up and that's why i feel like education and training is so important in in this in this area and economic empowerment when you have money in your pocket you feel a little better Mm -hmm. to be able to do some things and you're not like desperate and stress out and and all of that so yes we're very we're very blessed as a nation with our resources, I think. I think so too. And I, and I think such interesting comments um, in the comments section on Facebook where um, Nandi and D'Angelo, they're kind of just talking about how this stigma that's attached to people who farm in our society and you know working in this industry, it isn't seen as a glamorous job, but I feel like, like you said, that empowerment is one thing, right? Like we need to educate the people and empower them. And we need to also show how by doing this type of work, you can become economically stable. Like, I think that's the fear of Bahamians. Like, I feel like, and hopefully no one knocked me for this, but I do feel like we've become so comfortable because of tourism that we so used to that quick, that easy money, or we get incentivized very quickly for work. Um, We get to be in air condition, you know, doing whatever in the hotel, that when we look at jobs that are more beneficial for the country long-term, like, you know, agricultural professions, it's like, man, I need to be in the sun. And and I know- That's it. That's that's the whole point of- uh, for me, for Island Foodology, the importance is showing people all the jobs from the farm to the table, okay? Right. You might not want to be a farmer and digging up in the dirt, but you might want to be a lab technician who tests the food, who mm-hmm. tests for pesticides. You want, you might be that person who wants to make sure you don't have an outbreak of spinach. You know, you always see those recalls for outbreaks of spinach, especially, yeah. and vegetables. You might be want to be that person who does the training for the farmers to say, okay, uh, we need to reduce the E. coli level in the fields because it mm-hmm. starts in the fields. The thing about produce, and this is one of the things I, I'm a, a, a good agricultural practices trainer as well as a HACCP trainer, food safety trainer. Mm-hmm. Um, nice. uh, that's some of the courses I'm going to be offering soon. Um, so you don't have that outbreak and uh, you have to have lab technicians and, and people controlling the water. And there's so many people along that touches your food along that way. The thing mm-hmm. with produce is it doesn't have a kill step. You just put that in your mouth. So that's why it's so important for it not to be contaminated, whether it's with feces from wild animals or feces from composting and not using, you know, people just like to throw chicken manure, uh, pig manure on everything or whatever, uh, or be contaminated through chemicals or whatever. It's so important that your food not be metals. At the, at exactly at the produce level because mm-hmm. You eat that raw. Most products you eat raw in your salads and and, and all of that. So um, there's people who need to to. That's that's an agricultural profession. Microbiologists, mm-hmm. um, logistics people, um, marketing people, agri marketing people. Like what I did yeah. as a young person. I you know farmers. A lot of farmers like to grow stuff, but they don't know how to market stuff. So as a young person, I was that person. I was mm-hmm. that in between person they helping them to get their stuff to market so we have to get that out of us our head that agriculture is just the production side of things it starts there as d'angelo says yeah when he thinks of it it's him having an ox pulling the plow like this is yes (laughs) that's what people think it's every day it's singing spirituals But I mean, even if you just have to go for, you know, you just have to visit someplace like Bluefield Farms. This is an aquaponics farm. Yes, I've been right? there. Yes. Um, I have hives there at Ooh. Bluefield. Yeah, I have an apiary there. And it's a fully operational aquaponics farm, like mm-hmm. high tech. You working in a nice greenhouse. AC. And you literally grow in hundreds and thousands of pounds of lettuce and greens and, you know, 
And it, it, it could be considered to be organic because there's no pesticide use there because of the fish. There's mm-hmm. no fertilizer because of the fish. And it's just a just a perfect system. Um, I don't say perfect, but... It's a better. And it's a better it's system. Better. And it's climate smart, you know? Mm-hmm. Some people say, oh, it don't taste the same because of soil and blah, blah, blah. That's fine. But it, we need to get at the production. We need to increase our production. It's still food. I mean, I'll tell you it don't taste the same because of soil. Yeah, you know. I, don't, I can't taste no difference between... <laughs> I, I can at least. I sometimes feel like when I get, because I do try to purchase, like, I think either if I see like Lucaya or Bluefield Farms mm-hmm. in the food store, I try to do it because I'm like, let me, you know, help support these local um, agricultural yeah, businesses. Local, and I feel yeah. like lettuces be crispy. And I almost feel like they last in the fridge longer than when you buy some of these. It does. The like, they they in the similar packaging, but it's something about when you buy those greens in, from the ones from other countries. That'll be average for two days, and you have to throw that muck out. <laughs> like, yeah, yeah, muck. because they it took so long to get here, you know. And just buying local helps to reduce your your carbon footprint. You know, there's less boats having to come here, using less gas. Um, mm-hmm. I grow some collard greens sometimes. One time in my uh, in my yard, oh, I get tired of them collard greens. They was like weeds after. I just give greens. <laughs> you want some collard? I just give it away to people. But even mm-hmm. at the, that level, trying out stuff in your yard, and mm-hmm. even if you grow one thing, you know, yeah. and then you trade with your neighbor or whatever. I just think we just need to change, change the mind, mindset on all. Even I just try to encourage somebody to keep a couple of chickens because you yeah. can get one egg a day from mm-hmm. each of those chickens and. Uh, you have one ten chickens. That's two dozen um, eggs a week. So eggs you don't have to buy. One eggs is now like four or five dollars a dozen. Yeah, I I, I think so. <laughs> but I do think um, there is some some part of this is that lack of community because, uh, mm-hmm. like you said, you know, one neighbor probably have chickens laying eggs, and the next neighbor probably have a bunch of collard greens, and so mm-hmm. now it becomes this bartering system again where. So maybe you don't need to go to the food store and buy certain things. You could trade. You can start trading what you got with people who have different things and there's no food waste. Money ain't getting spent and, and you're strengthening, you know, these community bonds, man. Like and I think yeah. that that's a part of it. I think that's the difference even too with olden days in the family islands versus like NASA is a whole nother. Well, they did, and that's what I'm saying. Some of these things we used to do. They used to do that in the family island. If so-and-so yeah. was killing a pig today, they tell everybody, I killing this pig Monday. And they share, and then if somebody else has something, they share. And we used to do it. Mm-hmm. We used to mm-hmm. do it, and we, it worked fine. We never used to yeah. depend on on outside food like that, mm-hmm. you know, to to sustain us. We we knew how to do that, but some way, somewhere along the the line, we kind of lost it. Even with water harvesting, we used to collect water all the time. <laughs> now we can't. We wasted all kind of water, and you know, talk about climate change. And now we're talking again about water harvesting mm-hmm. and. Kitchen we used to do that already mm-hmm. so we had that knowledge we had that traditional knowledge but we lost it so certain things and that's one of the things i want to focus on as, as island photology kind of pinpointing what we used to do well and kind of bringing those things back kind of pulling that back out of our consciousness yeah um, and you're talking about you know a lot of people getting out of the whole factory farming and large commercial farms we want more family farms and mm-hmm. something we we kind of we kind of did before definitely and i know and i'm happy that i'm happy one that i have you on the show and that you talked about you know this different these gaps in the industry because people often just think the farmer and then it just somehow gets on the plate and all those jobs in between but i am curious um just as far as being a woman right working in this sector do you find that there is there are some unique challenges for women entering in the agricultural field especially when it comes to that actual on the ground farming side of it yeah, yeah. sometimes you got to prove yourself i mean there's a lot of stuff you said to prove yourself with yeah. uh as a woman you know if you you know especially if you deal with older farmers <laughs> you got that you know and they've been doing this a while and even being as a i would say an educational educated professional sometimes mm-hmm. you have to prove yourself there um but that's okay i mean it just makes you stronger i think um makes you work a little harder and makes you a little bit more resilient um uh one of the things i like about offering trainings and workshops is is that thing that you spoke about the community it brings people together like with b college i've created whatsapp group now just for i have a i have a whatsapp group for the other beekeepers which is which is a swarm 
Oh. <laughs> we have like a hundred and something beekeepers in there, not only from the Bahamas, because word got around that our group is so cool. Mm -hmm. I have beekeepers from St. Lucia, Trinidad, Barbados. I just added a, a veterinary officer from the Caymans. All of them are in this, this group that we created. And then I have a separate group from the Bee College. So they still talk amongst each other. They ask each other for advice. Yeah. I saw Nala on the call there. Nala was one of the people in the training I did at Wadi Lufra. Mm -hmm. So they all of the all of them are in the group and they exchange information. And that's how uh that you get that sense of community on an informal it. level. And then eventually my it is my hope that we could form this cooperative, this beekeeping cooperative, yeah. finally, which you know, so we'd be able to buy stuff together, like buy jars together, all what we need, you know, work together as, as a group. As Bahamians, I think we're a little spoiled in, in that we like to do things on our own, mm -hmm. very independent, but it still comes to a point where we really have to work together. So that's, that's my way of helping through providing networks through the trainings. That's the easiest way to do it. Yeah. Uh, linking people through knowledge education and kind of making them work together yeah and, as, and like we were talking off before the show began networking and that's i'm so passionate about that like i, I feel like that's all we need and i think once we just make these networks stronger we uh -huh. will continue to grow faster as a country yeah 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 because yeah. nobody knows everything i think some people just want think they know everything but for me my talent is no one who knows <laughs> That's why I'm very good at what I do. I don't know everything, but I know who know. Yeah. And I, and I collect people in my head. I collect, mm -hmm. say, oh, so and so know how to do this. Mm -hmm. So and so, it's like a little hobby for me, collecting people and their skills. Yes. So when I need them, I know how to kind of call on them to do it because I can't know everything. For sure. And it's, it's, you know, um, in that way, um, we, I, we really could get further if we would work together a little bit more. Yeah. And I think, and so, unfortunately, we may, we may be forced to do it oh. voluntarily. And sadly, anyway, I don't even want to dive into that. That's a whole another rabbit hole. But yeah, hopefully we can get it together before we have to get it together. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. But I know I do want to ask um, really quickly. So where is the Bee College? Will there be another one coming soon? Another round? Uh, I, Bee College really is going to be an annual event for me. So mm -hmm. it's the first time I did it. I was kind of like trying it out. Um, I've attended B College in other countries. That's kind of like where I got the idea from. Like University of Florida usually has a B College several times a year. Okay. I did, and then they have a spinoff Caribbean B College, which was one of the first ones I went to, and I had to fly to Barbados for that. Ooh. So I wanted to bring it here, so people didn't have to fly off. They didn't have to fly to Florida and pay all that money mm -hmm. to pay for B College, pay for the airfare, pay for the car, and all of that's over almost twelve hundred dollars you had to pay right there. Whereas mm -hmm. I just brought everybody here. For mm -hmm. you to do it but i'm gonna make the bee college itself uh is going to be an annual event but i am gonna have like spot trainings in between like i'm okay. thinking of doing a beginner training in um the end of september because some people are still asking for it so i'll just do or try to working on doing some online at least some online startup courses uh, videos and whatnot, and then take people into the field afterwards. Once you get the basics of, uh, you know, the bee biology, bee behavior, and stuff, mm -hmm. um, just put content there uh, to be able to people start there. And then, so when I get actually get you to do the practical, you have that in your mind already. Yeah. And so, I'm hoping September. Just follow me on Facebook and I'll foodology and trying to get this website as a new business, trying to get this website and stuff together. Um, uh, but for right now, I have Facebook and uh, Instagram, which where I put most things. Lovely. And you had held that in New Providence, Abaco and Eleuthera. That's where right. you held the first round. Yeah. Nice. And so next year, hopefully I want to be able to invite researchers, you know, so we oh. could get that thing to go in where we get our inventory of pollinators to just invite some different people to come and show us how to do that mm -hmm. and even talk about different bee diseases that other parts of the world have that we don't have because that's an opportunity for us to even export we could export queens mm. because we may have such clean bees don't have the some of the diseases that other countries have we could export queen a queen costs like 40 dollars one queen wow Queen $40, $50. So we have clean stock 
that's something that we could actually explore. That could be another industry. And, you know, we have that advantage of being an island. Being an island, you're able to contain diseases, zoonotic mm-hmm. diseases and mm-hmm. other types of diseases. You're able to contain it. Uh, so that's an advantage for us there. Lovely. So if someone wanted to get, I mean, no, you just said uh, if they want to find out information, your Facebook, Instagram website coming soon um, mm-hmm. throughout the year, besides the B college, are there other things you're working on? Do you take on volunteers or interns? Are you mentoring people? Like if someone was watching right now and wanted to connect with you in that way, is that possible? Yeah, I, I'm open to part. I always like to partner with people. I always like to network and uh, do different things. Um, I Coming up, I'm going to, start my food safety courses you know oh, i spoke boy. about um HACCP, which is hazard analysis and critical control control points so basically it's in manufacturing identifying the spots within your facility where food food could become unsafe like you know cottage industry people let's say people who do like bottled tomatoes or something like that some of them have issues where the bottles explode and they don't understand why it's because you know you have um, pathogens in there, like botulism, and they become so plentiful that they start, they multiply and the ball explodes and it's become safe for people to eat. So a lot of people are producing stuff, but it's not safe <laughs> sometimes, you know, and that's why a lot of the farmers can't access big markets like Bahama and Atlantis because mm. they, don't, they don't want to take on that liability. Yeah. Everybody's not trained to produce stuff, even though they're doing it. And yeah. you know you buy stuff from local people sometimes, and then after a month it starts to turn and look this funny color or mm-hmm. something like that. So just providing that training for people. So hazard, hazard training as well as surf safe. That's for restaurant and food industry. Nice. And then also I'm going to do probably even I'm going to do an agri ecotourism course so for people in the ecotourism field and agriculture field, especially farmers who, how you know, kind of teaching them how to set up their farm in an eco-friendly way where tourists could come and visit or do farm stays. Nice. I, know, I know a farmer who does bird watching on his farm because the birds are attracted to the goats. And they have <laughs> so a lot of really cool birds. And so we have bird watchers come on the farm. So ways to get income uh, while you're waiting for your slow produce to grow you could get that fast money as well you have the best of both worlds so i love that yeah so in the course um teaching people about that and actually helping them to develop their business plan because i always always have people to ask me that i do business plans as well to do their business plan but the problem i always have is that people don't know what they want to do they don't understand the research involved in developing your business plan i don't know what's going on in your head but through the course i get help to guide them develop the plan so they're able to implement um, their own business so yeah um yeah that food safety and then the agritourism that's what i'm working on for now as well as some other uh consultancy work um uh, working with um texas um prairie view a m um this week because they want to do a study abroad program so i'm always looking for opportunities like that for the universities mm-hmm. and then um other projects to help to build capacity in the country. So definitely. I love it. And I know a last question before I ask my final questions. Um, is there a bee farm and specifically where you can go and see how this works or even tour a facility? Is that, or is that what you were just talking about? That's yeah. coming? Well, well, yeah, I have a, I have apiary to come and look. I, it's called, and that's a part of what I want to do as well. AP tourism, it's called AP. Beekeeping is AP culture. So tourism, um, that's one of the things I want to offer as well for not only locals, but uh, beekeepers coming from different parts of the world who, who don't know about tropical beekeeping. Because in places like Canada and cold places, their bees only work for six months out of the year, whereas wow. I work in year round <laughs> all the time. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So just um, send me a message and we could arrange something. I'll take you to Apiary. Yeah, and that's, and that's my aunt. So I might actually tell her, let's go. Because I actually want to, I want to hold, I want the bees on my hand. <laughs> like, yeah. Well, well, like I said, those bees didn't have a home then. It may, it's going to oh. be different when you go to uh, uh, um, 
when you go to a, a, a apiary because then they have established home and they have a lot to defend. So they're going to be aggressive, a little bit more aggressive. They're not going to be calm like those bees. Those bees we had, like I said, they didn't have anything to defend. They didn't have any babies. They didn't have any home. We had the queen. So they were pretty much docile. But when you come to the point where you have something to defend, like people, you're going to kind of carry on by. So that's sure. where your suits. Definitely. And so as we start to wrap up, um, I know we're five minutes to the hour. This has been such a great episode. I do want to ask um, two more things. And the first being, is there someone in the sector that you work in right now that whether they're local or international that has inspired you and why? I saw that question. I was like, well, I can't, <laughs> I can't pinpoint anybody, one person. There's so many people that inspire me, even from old to young and I just like to take from everybody. I'm like the bees. I'm like, Paul, I go from plant person to person, picking their brain, you know? So it's very difficult for me to say. Um, but anybody, anybody, anybody who, who's into innovation and doing something new and thinking outside the box is an inspiration to me. And I always look in for those people and seeking those people out, whether it's in a different country or here at home. I always like to see when young people come home from school and they're doing such cool, some really cool things. Yeah. Um, so th that's an inspiration um, for me. I love it. That's a great answer. I know a lot of times some people are like, I can't pick one. It's so many, but that, that was a great answer. You, yeah. similar to the bees, you like to just go and get the pollen and you make something new with it because that inspires you. And that's mm -hmm. great. That's great. Mm -hmm. That's true networking. True networking. Yes. <laughs> And so if you could share some final thoughts for viewers, and I usually like to use this as the time to kind of, because I know we work in this amazing industry um, and yours being specifically around agriculture. Have you learned any life lessons through some of the work that you've done? Uh, life lessons, I would say knowledge is power. Like mm -hmm. I always tell people when you go to a job, wherever you go, you try to take up as much information as possible because information and knowledge is one of those things that people can't take back. If you go on the job and you hate it there, uh, you know you're only there for a time, but they offering a lot of information and knowledge. That's something when they'll take your money back, they'll take the job back, but they can't take what they teach you. So that's, that's my philosophy. And then also personal philosophy for me is what's mine is always gonna be mine. It was for me is always gonna be me. People can always steal your ideas and uh you tell them something, they start doing it, but they're never going to implement it the way I do it. They're never going to um, have my vision or my dream of how I do something because I'm always going to put my spin on it. So I don't worry about people stealing ideas and just people are the same humans are the same with that. Um, I was yeah. going to say, and that I find that that happens a lot. You, yeah. we sometimes as a people, as a whole, we lack that that natural innovation. Like we see one thing working, and we just want to copy it. Versus, yeah. yeah, and that's why we don't trust each other. That's why we can't work together because we don't trust each other at all. Um, but like like you say in the dolphin training world, small approximations. <laughs> that's how you change behavior. That's how you treat. Yep. <laughs> that's how you train behavior. Small starting small things. Small. Yep. Step Small step. steps to a big change. I love right. it. Right, exactly. But thank you so much uh, for spending basically an hour with me on this wonderful Sunday afternoon, big yeah. holiday weekend. Mm -hmm. um, so happy to connect with you in this way. And I'm definitely looking forward to connecting with you again. I'm sure you'll probably be on many more episodes as you continue to innovate and just be such an inspiration in the industry. And even just personally, honestly, to me in general, I love that what you just said, right? Like so many people are doing so many things. And as behaviors, sometimes we get scared to share our ideas, but nobody's going to do anything like you're going to do it. And what's for you is for you. And and you just spoke to me. I don't even, yeah. viewers too, maybe, but thank you so much. Like I really appreciate having you and I hope to keep connected with you and yeah. keep taking some pollen off of you and this has been a great episode thank you so much for thank your time. you for having me i would i really appreciate it. it was a great conversation uh, like i say always looking to network always looking to do some things um and and i'm here proud bohemian waiting to help to develop my country there you go and thank you to all my viewers for riding another wave with us and i hope to see you guys soon on our next episode of siren sundays have a great day everyone bye, bye.